The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, it is good to see you, City Rev. Uh, Good to see those of you who are here, those of you who are watching live online. We love you. We know that many of you, for one reason or another, maybe there's a medical reason or uh, maybe a high-risk person in your home are not able to join us in person. We just want you to know we are praying for you. We love you. We miss you and are looking forward to that day when we can see you here face-to-face, but also just grateful that we are still together as a church, whether digital or physically. So we know want you know that we love you. Um, also, if you are here and you are a guest today, I uh, just want to say th- uh, welcome. We love seeing new faces. Maybe you're a guest watching online. So glad that you've joined us. You've joined us on a great weekend. This weekend, we are wrapping up our series called Made. For the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Made. And so this week, as we're wrapping that up, We are going to be uh, doing several things. We saved some time for the end. We'll have some worship time at the end. We're going to take communion together. And we're also going to celebrate with uh, some of our brothers and sisters who are taking that step and being baptized. That's that ancient symbol Jesus commanded us to do, to publicly declare that we've put our faith in Jesus and made Jesus our Lord and Savior. And so we're going to be celebrating with some folks today at the end of our service who are going to be taking that step. And um, if you are interested in getting baptized, we would love to talk with you about that. So come find us at guest services, um, or if you're watching online, make a note of that. We would love to, uh, to follow up with you. You can put it right there in the chat. We'd love to follow up with you if you're interested in taking that step. Um, but we are wrapping up our series called Made Today, which means starting next week, we are kicking off a brand new series. The name of that series is Faith and Logic. And for about every year or two, we do a faith and logic series. This is the third time we've done a series like this. And the reason is because many times in our culture, people view faith and logic as if they're mutually exclusive, as if you either have to be a faith person or a logic person. But what the Bible shows us is that they are not mutually exclusive. In fact, uh, God made our brains and wants us to use our brains and actually faith and logic work together. And so um, we're going to be jumping into that series next week. And so look, maybe you are someone who says, I'm more of a logic person, or maybe even you say, look, I'm, I'm skeptical. I have questions about God or about the Bible or about Jesus. Um, this is a great series. We love journeying together with people who want to use uh, their mind and have questions. We have questions, and so we love journeying along with those people. But there may also be someone in your life, a friend, a family member, maybe someone you work with that you have conversations with from time to time who would be one of those people who has, has tough questions that they want answers to, or maybe they're, they have, uh, they're skeptical about something. If, that is, um, the, if, that's, if you know someone like that, this is a great series to invite them to. Or after you hear message, just share it with them and say, hey, um, I thought, you know, this was interesting and, um, you know, would love to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe we can get together and just have a conversation. So um, let's take advantage of this series. Excited to jump in, into it with you starting next week. So, uh, but we've got a lot to cover today in uh, our, final, um, uh, our final lesson in the MAID series. So let me pray and we will jump into our Bible study time together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, we thank you that you want to speak to us into our hearts from 
from the Bible, and we believe that you have left this for us so we don't have to try and figure this out by ourselves. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just speak right out of your scripture today. And we surrender to that work, Lord. We, we need that work in our lives. And so we surrender to that and ask that you would, would do that work wherever we need it. You know. You know where we need you to speak into our hearts. So give us ears to hear the work that you want to do in our hearts today. We ask that you would be at work, Holy Spirit, in our midst and in each of us. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. A few years ago, I had a vine that was growing in my backyard, and um, there was a fence, a wooden fence, uh, across the back that the vine was growing up from behind the fence and just across almost the entire fence. And it would just, it would entwine in all of like the fence slats all along the way. And um, I would go out there and I would be like pulling these branches off and these vines off, but um, they would just get all entangled around. And as it would like kind of wrap tighter and tighter around the fence post, it would like pull them apart. So it was slowly destroying um, this fence. And it was also like, as it was wrapping around, it was also causing the wood to rot. Like the sun couldn't get to it and dry it out. So it was causing the wood to rot. And um, the, the paint was chipping away. It just, it looked terrible. And so this vine became my nemesis because every time I'd go out and I would pull these branches, like I would, I would try and clean off the best I could. I'd look at what was left of the fence. And I'd be like, that just looks terrible, okay? And, but at least I cleared it off. And, I, and I'd try and pull it all the way up as much as I could. And I would go back again and I would go outside maybe like a few weeks later and I was gonna like throw the ball with one of my kids and uh, I'd go back and I'd look at that the, the fence and the vine was back and so like I keep pulling it down pulling it down I'm like all right that's it I'm not doing this anymore I got weed killer and I just sprayed like the whole thing down I was just gonna spray just kill that vine and, and the vine um, it died on on the fence but um but I came back a couple weeks later and the vine was back and it kept coming back and coming back, and I was getting madder and madder, like, all right, kids, just go back inside, okay? I got to deal with this vine, all right? And I just got madder and madder, and it kept destroying my fence more and more and more until one of these recent hurricanes that went through, the fence was just so dilapidated, it just knocked the fence down, and I had to clear out the fence. And after it knocked the fence down, I went back there, and I looked, and behold, I found where it was rooted into the ground. And I'm like, oh, it's on now, Okay. And I go back there, I pull all the vine up, and I'm just like in just a fury. I'm pulling that vine out, I throw it away, and there's one little twig sticking up that I just couldn't get out, and I'm like, I am gonna nuke that twig, okay? I get any poison I could find in my garage, I poured, I poured paint over it, like anything I could, I just poured it over that, that, uh, that root, and finally, I, I'm happy to announce to you, I had victory over the vine. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wanted to celebrate that, not had an opportunity to celebrate that publicly, but I did have a victory over that vine. But the challenge was it kept growing back and back because I was just dealing with the branches. I was just dealing with the outflow of that, of that vine, which is important because those branches were destroying parts of my fence, but I couldn't ever truly take care of the whole vine until I got down to the root. Now, we're in a series called Made, 
And in this series, we're going to the very first chapters. We've been in the very first chapters of Genesis. And it tells us a fundamental, foundational truth about us as human beings. It talks about how we are made in the image of God. And there's a dignity that comes with that. And um, what we have talked about along the way is that anywhere that that foundational truth about human beings that were made in the image of God, anywhere where that is either not accepted or, the, or practice does not align with that truth causes all kinds of pain in our world. Uh, more specifically, if, if, if someone doesn't believe or someone doesn't practice that every single human being is made in the image of God, then that can bring about things like hate. That can then, if, if there's hate, then that can bring about things like oppression. I mean, if, if at the root everyone is made in the image of God, how could one group oppress another group? And yet, throughout history, that's part of the human experience. If um, that core concept that every human is made in the image of God, if that is not upheld, if that's not taught, if that's not practiced, then you have things like ethnocentricity, where someone's own uh, ethnic identity, someone's own ethnic background, country of origin, becomes so much a central part of their identity to the degree that they would look down on someone as inferior who doesn't align with their uh, ethnic identity. And where there's something like ethnocentricity, I mean, you carry that out, then you could have something like genocide. So you see, these are terrible, terrible branches that we've seen spring out in moments in history, but they come back to a fundamental root and it comes back to this foundational truth that every human being is made in the image of God. If we know that, that root and, and we see in this world the branches the, of wickedness that grow out of not having a healthy view of that core belief, then we can actually go right to the root and, and have a hint at what the solution could be. That's where I want us to look today. I'd ask that you would join with me in opening your Bibles or your Bible app to Genesis chapter 1. I want you to see the profound thing that God says about who you are. This is foundational to our identity. Look at Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Here's what it says. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our, what's the word right there? Likeness. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There are not too many things that are as profound as what those verses just said about who you are. 
God himself, the creator, made every single human being, every male, every female, every single human, he made us with a distinct dignity. He made us in his image. That means human beings, distinct from the rest of creation, are image bearers. We carry his image. We are made in his likeness. That means that we are not just sophisticated animals. There's something distinct. He made all of creation. He made the heavens. He made the stars. He made our galaxy. He made our solar system. He made our, our planet. He made the seas and the land and all of the plants and animals. He made all of them and they were good. God announced and pronounced them as good. And then he said, but I'm doing something specific and unique with humanity. I am going to make them uniquely to reflect me. And every single human being Regardless of their age, regardless of whether a male or female, regardless of their background, or regardless of what they've accomplished or not accomplished, or regardless of anything, every single human being carries that inherent dignity, a dignity that's so profound. There's almost nothing on this earth that could possibly compare with the fact that a human being is made in God's image. That means your creator specifically wired you to reflect something about himself. That's incredible. But as we know, um, as we've looked at through this series, in the next couple chapters, we find out that uh, there is an enemy to humanity. Satan, the evil one, the devil, and he wants to destroy humans because he hates God. He wants to destroy those that are made in the image of God. And so he, God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's made them both in his image, in his likeness, and Satan comes slithering into the garden and he, and he starts speaking to, to Eve. He wants to, to tempt her. He wants to lie to her. He wants to deceive her. And he starts with this. He says, did God say you can't eat of anything in the garden? Like you can't eat of any of the fruits of any of the trees? I mean, how, man, how are you possibly going to survive? That's terrible. That's so terribly restrictive. You can't eat anything? And Eve said back to him, no, no, we... <laughs> We can eat of all of the trees. There's just one that we can't eat of. It's just that fruit that is forbidden. And we can't eat of just that one tree, just that fruit. If we eat of it, we'll die. And I want you to see the lie. I want you to flip over to chapter 3 at verse 4. I want you to see the trick and the lie that the serpent says, the enemy said to Eve. He says this. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be, what's the word there? Like, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I want you to see a couple things here in this chapter. First of all, I want you to see the 
work that Satan did. And I want you to see the trick under his words to Eve. He said, no, no, you're not going to die if you eat that true. Here's the thing. God just knows that if you eat it, you will be like God. Now, time out. We just learned a couple chapters earlier that Adam and Eve are already made in the likeness of God. That's the same Hebrew word. So wait, wait a minute. What's happening here? Well, God first says, I've made you in my likeness. You're already reflecting with this incredible dignity that you're in the likeness of God. And then the enemy comes by and says, hey, if you want to be like God, you've got to do this. What has he done? He's downgraded humans as if likeness is something that they've got to achieve and get. As if that dignity and that value is something they don't have and they have to pursue and get it. He says, if you want to be like God, you've got to disobey him. So what has he done? He's dehumanized who they already are. They're in the image of God. And at the, the core of sin is that trick. It is, we dehumanize ourselves and that leads us to dehumanize others. These are things we've talked about through this series. Let me remind you how, how this works. It's under every sin. So greed Greed for power, greed for position, greed for money. If I can get tempted, then I say, man, the only way I feel valuable, I feel like I have dignity, that I feel like I've made it is just, if I could just earn a certain amount of money, if I could just get to a certain position, if I could have a certain level of popularity or power, and I have this greed, I have just this need to get that. If, if he gets me to be tempted with greed, if I don't get that, then I am not valuable. What has he done? He's just stripped me of the dignity that God's already given given me being made in the image of God. And so then what happens if someone gets on, man, if someone gets on that hamster wheel looking for power or money or position to find value, they're never going to find it, are they? Because I need just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and it will always elude them finding that value and that satisfaction down to their soul. And the enemy has tricked them. And not only have they devalued themselves, dehumanized themselves, but they dehumanize others, right? Because if I am so greedy for money or power or position, then I will then view everyone around me as just a means to that end. I will, you will only be valuable to me in so much as you help me find value for myself. And the moment you don't add any value to me, I have no problems leaving you to the side or stepping over you or even torpedoing you so that I can move ahead. So at the trick underneath sin is I have a dehumanized view of myself. And then it leads me to dehumanize others. And that's the same with any sin, whether it's, it's greed or whether it's lust or bitterness or vanity. It all comes back to that same equation. I mean, think about that, those three simple verbs. I mean, that little meal, it all started with this little meal of fruit. And three little verbs, she took, she ate, and she gave. And that meal that Adam and Eve shared came, the result of that came flooding into humanity. That sin, and think of all of the pain and brokenness and wickedness that entered into humanity because of that small meal. Just three little verbs, take, eat, give. All the pain and wickedness in history come flooding from that moment. 
And right there, all the consequences for sin come from right there in that moment. But God gives them a hint, the beginnings of what some of those some of those consequences are. He speaks to each one, the serpent, and then to Eve, and then to Adam. But I wanted to show you one of the consequences of that sin. I want you to look at one, one of the things he says to Eve. Look at verse 16. Um, look what he says, chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. And then look at this next part. This is what I want to zero in on. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. It's a very curious phrase there. And in the very next chapter, chapter four, um, where their kids, Cain and Abel, Cain ends up murdering his brother Abel, and that same phrase is used there about um, desire over and mastering over and ruling over, like that same concept is there. And so it gives us context as to what this curious phrase means. What's going to happen is between the two of them, there's going to be this desire for who is going to have control, who is going to have rule, who's going to have mastery over who. There's going to be this tension introduced in them that is now coming from the inside out with this battle over who is ruling, who is higher, who is over who. Now imagine of, of this tension entering into Adam and Eve. I mean, imagine there could not be another couple in the history of humanity that is the least prepared to face conflict in their marriage. They've never experienced con conflict before. They've never had tension. They all of a sudden flooding into their souls. Pride just appears for the first time. This strange feeling and emotion that they don't even have a word for. They suddenly now feel insecure for the first time. They've never felt that. They suddenly get their feelings hurt. They get wounded. They deal each other wound. Now all of a sudden, for the first time, they're experiencing broken trust. And imagine I mean, how far they fell from experiencing this beautiful, harmonious relationship. But now sin enters, and there's going to be this tension right there in this relationship where they're trying to be over the other. And that at the root comes from an instinct. That root comes from an instinct of pride or basically an instinct of superiority. Down deep, now sin has created this instinct of superiority. I should have control. No, I should have control. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm, I've got this figured out. No, I've got this figured out. No, I'm better. No, I'm better. And there's this, this superiority where they're now going to instinctually want to have control over the other because they feel like they're more valid for that position. What is it? Sin created, fundamental to sin, a superiority in their hearts. And now they're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. But this is not just about a marriage relationship. I want to show you one more verse out of Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Think about this for a second. Adam and Eve are the only human beings on the planet at this point. And from them is going to come all of humanity descended from them. So Adam and Eve at this point are the totality of the society. 
There are no other humans at this point. It's just Adam and Eve. They're the entire society. And so what is happening in them is what is going to flow into all of society. And we see this play out in the next chapters. You see you see Cain and Abel, and you see the superiority rising up in Cain, and he kills his brother. You see this escalating more and more and more throughout the next chapters all the way to the days of Noah when it's just terribly violent and people oppressing each other and it's just, it's terrible. It's all come out from the heart. See, here's fundamentally, what does this scripture point to us? Fundamentally, down deep, sin will produce in every single heart. You can trace to the, to the, to the very root of sin, you can trace pride. Or what's pride? It's superiority. It's I'm better. All the way down deep is that source. And springing from that, I mean, with that root, man, all kinds of terrible branches grow out of that root of superiority. Hate. Oppression. Superiority of ethnocentrism, like we talked about. Things terrible, terrible things like genocide. Coming up out of it's where one person or one group says, well, I'm superior. I mean, as these vines grow out from that root, I mean, they entangle and coil around the structures of society, and we've seen it throughout history. It leads whole cultures to say, you know, our culture is better than yours, so we have no problem wiping yours out or oppressing or, or um, creating difficulty for your culture. Whole, whole classes of people have looked down at others and oppressed. Whole groups of people have hated other groups of people. And it all stems from that sin of superiority. But if we know what this passage says, then it teaches us a couple things. It teaches us the source. Sin is the source of all of those things. And if we know what the source is, then we're not shocked when we see it surface in our lives. Oh, wow, there's actually superiority in my life. I, 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 I have a, a higher view. I look down on this group or this group or this group. There's actually superiority in my life. I've got to uproot or I'm not surprised when I see it surface in, in, our, in my city or in the place that I work or um, among, the, uh, among a, a, a nation or a society or a culture. I'm not surprised when I see it, I'm bro- but I'm broken for it. See, I not only know the source, but this passage tells us our stance. Fundamentally, if we know where all of that comes from, we know our stance. We fundamentally oppose anything that doesn't accept or act upon the truth that every single human being is made in the image of God. No matter where their country of origin, no matter what they look like, no matter what they have accomplished or haven't accomplished, no matter their education, no matter their economy, no matter the color of their hair, the color of their eyes, the color of their skin. Every person is made in the image of God, and anywhere that that is questioned or threatened, we know our stance. We oppose it. We stand against it. We're active against it. Because we know that every, we know the, the root of superiority comes from this tarnished truth that every person is made in the image of God. We know its source. We know our stance. But it also gives us a hint as to what the solution is. 
So this, um, all this pain in our society, in our world, all this pain in humanity, it came from one small meal of a piece of fruit. Just that one little meal that they shared. And there's just these three little verbs, right? It was, she took it, she ate it, and then she gave it. And as they shared that meal together, I mean, all the pain and brokenness that came from that one little meal, the meal of our fall. But you know, there's another, um, there's another meal. Jesus um, had another meal too. He gathered his followers together. In his meal, there were two elements. It was um, bread and wine. And these are essentially, it's also fruit, really. I mean, this is the fruit of the field, and it's the fruit of the vine. And so these are also, um, these two are also really fruit. And it's funny, when when Jesus took this, um, I want you to think about the language he used. It says, um, after dinner, he he took the, the cup. He took it. He said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And then he gave it. He took the same verbs of our fall and he incorporated them into the meal of our redemption. And what was he communicating? His work is going to roll back all of the damage done from that original meal. His, the, his redemption is going to go right to the source of what that original meal, and he, and he communicated it to them over a meal. But I want you to see the distinction because the original meal was raw fruit plucked right from a tree. That's the meal of our fall. But the meal of our redemption, you know, it, it's not raw fruit. It's, it's now bread and wine. This is not raw fruit. There's a process that's, that's happened to this. I mean, at, he, he didn't use the raw fruit. He used the fruit of the field. You know, had he used like a, a piece of grain or had he used, you know, the, the fruit straight from the vine, that, that, this would have been the raw fruit. And Jesus had been around the raw fruit with his disciples. He would walk through fields of grain and they would pluck the grain heads off of uh, the pieces of, uh, that, that were growing there in the field. And they would rub it together to get the chaff off and they would throw the dry grain in their mouth and they would eat as they go through the fields. That was a common practice. And so Jesus was with them in those moments and he could have taken that moment as they're eating the raw grain and used that, eating the raw fruit of the field to communicate redemption and, un, and communicate that he's undoing what happened at that original meal, but he didn't do it then. He was around the, the fruit of the vine. He would walk through vineyards and he would talk about the illustration of him as the vine and the vine dresser and he would talk about that as an illustration and he could have taken that moment to pluck the raw fruit from the vine and then communicate in that moment holding the raw fruit, the meal of our redemption, but he didn't. He didn't use the raw fruit. I mean, think of what it takes to take these things, the raw grain and the raw fruit, and turn it into these things. I mean, what does it take to take a piece of grain and turn it into a piece of bread? I mean, this grain, it's got to be cut down with a sickle. It's got to be crushed. 
It's got to be winnowed. It's got to be kneaded. All those things have to happen for it to become this. What about the raw fruit of the vine? I mean, what has, has to happen to this raw fruit for it to become this? It has to be plucked and picked off. Then it's got to be tread upon for it to become this. And you know what's interesting? All those verbs that I just shared, cut down with a sickle, crushed, winnowed, plucked and tread upon, you know, all of those verbs are used in the Old Testament prophets to describe God's justice. See, our redemption meal was not with a raw fruit. It was with the fruit after it had been tortured. You know, we've been talking about uh, the image of God and how we're made in the image of God. But we haven't yet in this entire series talked about like what exactly does it mean? We've talked about the implications of being in the image of God, but what does it exactly mean that we're made in God's image? And there's a, a 20th century theologian that wrote about that. And he says, our tendency is what we do is we read Genesis 1 and we say, okay, he made the animals and they're good, but when he made humans, he made us in the image of God. So our tendency is we say, okay, the animals are not in the image of God, but we are. So how are we different than those who are not in the image of God? And we compare ourselves like to the animals. And we say, so okay, they're not, we are. So what are, what are, what do they uh, not have? But he says that's an argument from the negative. He says instead of figuring out what the image of God is by looking at something that's not, he says why not find in the Bible where God talks about explicitly that we are in his image and look at what the image of God is, not just at what the image of God is not. And then he takes us to this passage. Listen to what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Listen to this verse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who is the image of God? It is Jesus. Do you want to know what the image of God is? You want to know what it means that we were made in the image of God? You want to know what it means it's been tarnished and how he's making us back into the image of God? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus who sat in at the highest place. He was at the right hand of God the Father on his throne in all glory and honor and power and privilege and position. And he sat there with all of creation giving him glory. And he set that all aside and he came to earth to be tortured. He came to earth to be rejected and humiliated and, and cast aside and brutalized and to, be, and to hang on a cross and to take all of our guilt and shame and the punishment for our sin, and he died. But so great was the Son of God that on the third day he rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death, rolling it back. And he says, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that Sin and death-defeating power will go to work in our hearts, making us like him. What is happening? Do you understand, Christian, when God is making you like Jesus Christ, do you understand the profound work he's doing? That's him bringing you all the way throughout the course of your life back into the fullness of the image of God. He's making you like Jesus. 
And so what does it mean to reflect Jesus? Well, Jesus called us, he says, if you're going to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow after me. It says, if we see our brother and sister in, in need and don't help that brother and sister, how can we say that we have the love of God? Because if anyone doesn't love, they don't know God because God is love. It says, by this we know love, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for, his bro- for, for us so we should lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. He's making us like him fundamentally to lay down our lives in self-sacrifice. So what does that mean for us, understanding this profound truth? Well, let's start here. We know that embedded in sin is pride, and essentially pride is superiority. So follower of Christ... Do you have the courage, no matter what your, your life experience has been, what your background is, do you have the courage to open your heart to the Holy Spirit and let him uproot where those places of superiority are? Do you have the courage and say, God, I, that is wicked And it's from the enemy, and I want that out. And so God, show me, is there someone that maybe by their belief system, I look at them as inferior to me, but I know that they've been made in the image of God. So I need to see them as having dignity. Is there someone in my life that maybe because of their level of education or their their financial place or maybe where what they've accomplished in their life and it's different than me and do I look down at them because as as inferior can I do we have the courage to let God uproot those feelings of superiority do we have the courage to stop and say God can you uproot where I have feelings of superiority because of my country of origin it's good to love your country But if it gets to a place where then I feel superior to someone who's from another country, that's sin. Because all human beings are brothers and sisters made in the image of God. Do we have the courage to let God uproot that superiority in our hearts? Where we can look at someone who looks different than us. different color of skin, different life experience, different ethnicity, from a different part of the city or a different part of our country or a different, different part of our culture, and say, God, would you uproot in my heart where I see that person as inferior? Would you uproot the superiority in my heart? Because that's sin. And then can you replace it with what the opposite of superiority is? Say, what's the opposite of superiority? Is it inferiority? Well, no, that violates truth too because I know that I'm made in the image of God. So the opposite of superiority is not inferiority. Those are two different things that come from the same lie. No, the opposite of superiority 
is self-sacrifice. That's the image of God. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he's called us to, Christian, is to say, I'm willing to sacrifice out of love for my brother or sister. That's what Jesus did. And so that's what I'm going to do with my life. You know, some of the greatest people in the history of our country are, pa- are people who walked with that Christ-like quality of self-sacrifice. There are people that have risked their life for the sake of our country, people who have given themselves for the sake of our country for many, in many different ways, some by the, the, what they do every day, Self-sacrifice, giving themselves. Others for standing for truth regardless of the consequences. And I want to remind you of one of those people, and and there's this one moment I want to remind you of that I think is just one of the most profound moments in the history of our society. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered on April 4th, 1968. And um, someone wanted to snuff out his voice for the truths that he was speaking to. But of course, there's no way that those words could be snuffed out, those truths could be snuffed out. And in fact, those words still ring his dream of what America could be and what America should be his dream and his hope that it's something that America will be, those, that dream, those words still ring throughout our community and our society. But it's not those, those words in particular that he spoke in front of the, the Lincoln Memorial that, that day. One of those profound speeches in the history of our country. No, I, I want to take you to what happened the evening before he was murdered. Because I want you to see what was on his heart and what was on his mind. I want you to see that he knew what the consequences, the sacrifice of the truths he was preaching and speaking, the truths that were standing upon the truths in Scripture that all men and women are made in the image of God and carry that dignity. He knew there would be consequences for speaking those truths. It was um, that day before... He was supposed to preach at a church, and uh, that night he he got sick. He was uh, stuck in his hotel room, a fever, in bed, and his friends that had gone to that church said, Dr. King, if there's any way you can make it, they're just so disappointed that you're not here. Is there any way that you can make it? And so he got out of bed, he, he put on his clothes, and he, even though he was sick, he came to the church that night, and he shared some words that were impromptu, not prepared, just from his heart. I want you to hear what he said. Dr. King was murdered on April 4th, 1968. Here are the words he shared on April 3rd, 1968. Look at these words. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. 
to live a long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you. you have placed in our in our midst in our history men and women that have shown us what it looks like to follow in your footsteps and give their lives to show us what self-sacrifice looks like it's your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the fruit of what your spirit can do could be alive in a city, in a church, in a nation, in a world that there might be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that there can be There could be a place that people would give their lives, that there could be a place filled with faith and hope and love, and that there could be cities that are filled with justice and righteousness, that widows and orphans are lifted up and they're tended to, and that we've seen examples of people who are willing to follow in their footsteps, follow in your footsteps and give their life a life of self-sacrifice. And so, Lord Jesus, we come before you as your disciples. We've counted the cost. We know that we renounce all to follow you and we, we make ourselves available to you. We, we open ourselves up and surrender to you and we say, Jesus, here we are. Would you send us? Would you use us to bring the message of good news to heal wounded and sick souls that are wandering around trying to find their value when they don't understand the very inherent value of they've been made in the image of their creator and that there's an offer of being restored into that full image through the person of Jesus Christ. May we be the salt and the light. May we, may we be the very fragrance of Christ in our city. Would you use us, Lord Jesus, to stand for your truth and follow in your footsteps that we might see your kingdom come. Use us, We will not lose hope of what you can do. In your name we pray. We're going to close our time by remembering the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion.
if you got these elements when you came in, go ahead and grab those. There's going to be some ushers that will um, hand you one. If you need one, they're coming down the aisles. If you're at home, go ahead and get a, a bread element and a juice element if we want you to join with us. But I want to make sure you know this is proclaiming that the Lord Jesus is your Savior and that his sacrifice has saved you. So if you're not ready to make that proclamation, if you're like, look, I still have questions about Jesus, then um, that's fine. We're glad that you're joining us, but just hold off for now because that's what you're proclaiming by taking this communion. And so just take off that, that upper plastic layer and take that, that wafer, that bread, and, and as you take this wafer, be reminded that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for you to save you. And that this meal symbolizes the work he did to roll back the work of sin and death. Let's remember his sacrifice together. You can peel back that foil layer. And as you take this juice, we're reminded of his precious blood that was shed for us. This is a symbol of that. That his blood was shed for us, the most precious substance in the world. And this is the power that saves us from sin and death. His blood, what he did on the cross. Let's remember that together. Lord, we remember your sacrifice. We will not forget. And we ask that you would help us to walk in your footsteps to bring healing to our land. We make ourselves open to you. Wherever you lead, we will go because you are our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.